Welcome to the Pacific Point Church Podcast, where we're learning to love and live like Jesus. During this half hour, we're praying that God will direct, encourage, and speak to you. If you would like to partner with Pacific Point Church and our church plants, visit us at pacificpointchurch.com give. At that same site, you can also watch and listen to previous sermons, read follow-up blog posts and extended notes, and even connect with Pacific Point Church on social media. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Uh, if you don't mind turning with me uh, while I get set up here to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, we've been going through this series this fall in Ephesians, and at the pace we're going, we're probably going to be going probably through the winter. Um, so this series might take us into 2024, who knows. Uh, but I, I don't mind it, it's, it's been great so far. This is uh, week three. Uh, my name is Luke Gain. I am the son-in-law to John Blue. So if you arrived here today strictly to shake John Blue's hand, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, he is out of town, so I'm stepping in. He's asked me to, to step in, and I'm honored, though, and grateful to be able to preach God's word to you today. But uh, we're in Ephesians 1. i give you guys a moment to turn there. I need to actually turn there myself. All right, well, hey, I appreciate you guys being here this morning. I know we're in the full swing of football season, so I know this is a bit of a sacrifice for some of you, right? Well, maybe you have TiVo, maybe you have YouTube TV, you can go back and rewind it. Um, but how about them Colorado Buffs, huh? Pretty crazy. Uh, crazy story with uh, Coach Prime. Uh, if you don't know, Colorado typically stinks, but they're 2-0, 3-0, 3-0 now? Okay, 3-0, yeah, pretty crazy. I mean, it's, it's a fun watch. Uh, and we have a tendency to really enjoy underdog stories. Perhaps there are no greater underdog stories than found in sports, right? Like Miracle on Ice, maybe Michael Jordan's flu game, Boston Red Sox breaking the curse, or even right now in the modern era, the Colorado Buffs. But many could argue that one of the greatest underdog stories in all of history was the founding of this great country. Amen? Yeah? What a a fantastic uh, underdog story. Uh, when I was in college, I was uh, approached by an older gentleman, and he asked me, hey, young man, what's your name? And I introduced myself. We started chatting. And he goes, what are you majoring? And I typically am a little shy. I shy away from it. It's not the most elaborate or most exciting major. I majored in history. It was uh, something that was notorious for the athletes picking because it was the easier major, but I generally had an interest in history and wanted to pursue teaching in history, and what was really cool about this time, rather than like, oh, cool, not pre-med, not law, he instead, that's typically the response I get, but he instead started to well up with tears and said, what type of history? I said, U.S. history. He goes, young man, I am so happy that you are studying and cherish U.S. history. Can you imagine Can you think about what George Washington went through? He knew that this was either going to be a success or fail in his death. Can you imagine being that man who put it all out there on the line, who wanted nothing to do than to pursue what he believed in, which was freedom? The Founding Fathers knew that one of the greatest things to obtain in this life was freedom. Now, the world wants us to believe, though, that freedom is found by looking further inwardly, that if we could just somehow tap into who we really are, then and only then will we truly be free. The world has actually gone so far as to try and get rid of God completely in our schools, in our sports, in our houses, in our marriages. They've tried 
their utmost to get rid of God, to think that if only we can get rid of this ruthless judge, then we can be finally free. But to me, it doesn't seem to be going very well, and research actually backs that up. Gen Z is one of the, has the highest rate of suicide, depression, and anxiety, as they are preached to on a constant basis. Look further into yourself. Therefore, you will find true freedom. However, as we'll see today in Ephesians chapter 1, I believe freedom is found elsewhere, and there's an even greater underdog story to celebrate that includes us. Before we hop in, I just want to pray and ask God to open up our hearts. God, we thank you so much for just who you are, the fact that you are here with us, that you're not sitting on your throne, kicking back, and waiting for things to happen. You're present, you're active, you're alive, and your word is alive, and we're so grateful that we can dive into it today. God, will you please forgive us um, for coming in with any sort of preconceived notions or for having hardening hearts? Will you soften our hearts today? We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you're active and working in our lives, and we thank you that you're here. God, we just ask that you would open up our hearts to receive, that you would speak, Holy Spirit, that you would move, that would be your words, and that we'd be able to receive it, to not only dwell on it for the rest of this afternoon, but to meditate on it throughout the entire week so that our lives would be completely changed so we can impact the world for your kingdom. We're so grateful that we can be a part of it, and we're so grateful for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Uh, so let's go ahead and take a look at Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, Jake, do you mind helping me out here? I'll, I'll try to give cues, and that way it's, yeah. Uh, I totally, yeah, missed it. But uh, Ephesians chapter 1, 7 through 10. Uh, John last week went through verse 7. Now, we're going through this pretty slowly. I was anticipating and expecting to preach in chapter 2 today, uh, but I am not. So we're preaching ch- chapter 1, 7 through 10. But 8 starts off in like the middle of the thought that was 7. And I don't want to discount what John preached on last week. It was phenomenal. He stuck in 7 and preached on the gospel. We're just going to go back a little bit to 7. Okay, start there. Is that all right? And then go through 10. So 7 through 10. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the word of the Lord. Going back to seven real quick. Redemption. What is redemption? I mentioned last time and in front of them too, I, have, I had former boys from my life group in the building when I mentioned this, but I used to have a life group and used to lead a life group of high school boys and they would read these uh, scriptures and gloss over words that they thought they knew, they thought they understood, but when asked, they didn't really know. So the first question is, what is redemption? Well, the Greek word apolotrosin, hopefully I said that right, is the act of fully setting free. The ESV commentary that I helped use in my study was the release or liberation from imprisonment or captivity. This is a really two really good definitions of redemption. To be set free, the act of fully setting free, the release or liberation from imprisonment or captivity. Now, the important thing to know about redemption to fully and completely understand redemption. This is tough, but we must be reminded of why redemption was necessary in the first place. How seriously do you take and consider your sin? 
A.W. Pink says this, the mark of a Christian is this, it is not the absence of sin, but the grieving over it which distinguishes the child of God from empty professors. Now, for those of you who are newer to the faith, for those of you who accepted Christ a little later in your life, sin weighs a little bit different than somebody who, like me, grew up in the church, was found Christ early on. You have a history and legacy and life without God and can therefore distinguish the differences between a life without God and a life with God. For those of us who grew up in the church, it's a little bit harder for us to see this. It's a little bit harder for us to understand this. We become numb to the repetitiveness. We have a tendency to become numb to the repetitiveness of hearing God is good, God loves you, he's kind and merciful. But our sin doesn't actually take effect, whether you've become a Christian later on in your life or whether you grew up in the church. We have a tendency not to allow our sin to affect our lives until and only until it affects somebody else or it negatively affects us. The reality is this. Our sin, first and foremost, grieves the heart of God. Our sin, first and foremost, grieves the heart of God. Even writing that down in my notes and even saying that out loud today, still for me, and I have to pray over it, does not carry the weight that it should, and it might not carry the weight that it should for you either. We're constantly aware of and paralyzed by, I don't want to make a mistake, I don't want to sin, for the sake of not losing a friendship, for the sake of not hurting my spouse, for the sake of not getting hurt myself. But we need to understand that our sin first and foremost, grieves the heart of God. And it isn't until we understand the extent of his mercy do we understand the depth of his redemption. What does the Bible say that the penalty of death is? Death. The penalty of, of, the penalty of sin, sorry. The penalty of sin is death. Give the answer away. Hello. Hi. <laughs> what does the Bible say the penalty of sin is? It's death death. So, with that in mind, what should have happened to Eve the second she bit the fruit? The second her heart decided it was okay to take it. What does the scripture say? If you eat of the fruit, you will surely die. So, why didn't she die right there on the spot? Why was the serpent so convinced that she wouldn't die? And why did God not just snap his fingers and start all over? Why did we not have a chapter or a section of Eve and Adam blowing it and going, hey, children, look at them blowing it. I'm starting over. Here we go. Now we have Steve and Joanna. We're going to try it again. He could. The death in the Hebrew means both. It's both. The death emphasized is repeated to communicate its emphasis, but also to communicate that it was a physical death and a spiritual death. And yet God didn't snap his fingers. He didn't start over. Why? Psalm 119.56 says this, Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Do we understand how powerful God is? Do we understand how sovereign and how much of in charge he is in this world and in your life? If we don't, Job 38 is one of the greatest places we can go to see his sovereignty, to see his truth, and to see his power. Would you mind turning with me to Job 38? It will not be up on the screen, so you can pull out your phones. It's totally okay. Um, You can pull out your Bibles. Please turn with me to Job 38. I'll turn there with you. 
But Job, as many of us know, whether you've grown up in the church or not, whether you're brand new to this or not, we've heard the story of Job. Job, we may have heard the story of Job, I should say. Job was a man wealthy beyond all riches. He had livestock. He had an amazing family, multiple kids, multiple grandkids, a ton of land. It's one of the oldest stories, if not the oldest story in the Bible. And the devil approaches God and doesn't say, hey, by the way, I'm about to do this to Job. He asks permission because God is in charge. May I? Hey, what about Job? May I cast down on him everything? Job, finally, after hearing complaints and arguments and questions from his friends, why aren't you mad at God? Why aren't you disobeying him? Why aren't you turning away from him? His wife shrewd and crude, said, Job, turn away from this God who's taken away everything from you, your land, your riches, your family. Finally, Job asked God, why have you done this? What is going on? What is your plan? Job 38, then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who is this that darkness counsel, uh, that darkens counsel by words without knowledge, dressed for action like a man? I will question you and you make it known to me. Holy Moses. Could you imagine? We often in here, a lot of us don't even like confrontation. But this is God looking Job straight in the eye and saying, roll up your sleeves, young man. Dress for action. I'm about to answer you. Make it known to me. Verse 4. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Job. Where were you when I drew the equator line that you can't even conceptualize in your brain? Where were you when I took the globe like a little marble, tilted it on its axis, and slowly spin it just enough around the sun to be perfectly timed for a 24-hour period, set at perfect distance to be just warm enough for life to flourish? Where were you when I did all that? Where were you? Who are you to say why when I'm the one who tells the ocean, this far you can go? He continues like that for two whole chapters, 38 and 39. When Job asks why, God doesn't answer with an elaborate transcript or resume of look at how great he answers. This is who I am. This is my power and ability. I love uh, later on, he even tells the lightning where to strike after the lightning asks, where shall we go? If you can just entertain me real quick, right hand up like this, okay? Open, close, close, open, close, open, close, okay? Anybody here, other than my own direction, conscientiously tell your heart to pump blood through your body? No? Anybody here, or like even right now, as you're sitting here breathing in oxygen, saying, all right, breath in, don't forget to breathe out, breathe out, okay? The world wants to make you believe and say that you're fully in control of your life and your destiny. And yet we don't even recognize and understand that the God of this world is in charge of this. Who makes you do this? Conscientiously, 
God is constantly in control of your life. The fact that your atoms and molecules aren't splitting right now is because God is gently, lovingly making sure it is all intact. He is an incredibly sovereign God that chose not to snap his fingers the second Eve in her heart chose to take the fruit. His mercy started the second she bit the fruit. What did he do instead? Back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8. He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight his redemption. He generally, generously poured out his redemption on us in abundance. There was none withheld. He did so in all wisdom and insight, not just some wisdom and insight, not just like Ikea furniture directions. He made us to know and understand in his word with clarity and fullness. That is true beauty and true freedom. Like that of the Israelites, we have been set free from the bondage of sin to do what? To dwell in a land flowing with milk and honey, to live with him in freedom. However, we need not constantly be reminded of our past sin. After we repent, he forgets our sin, but I'll jump on that more a little later. Rather, we just need to constantly be aware of the fact of this. We have sinned, we do sin, and will sin, and are in constant need of saving. We do not need to dwell constantly of what we have done. We just need to be aware of the reality is that we have sinned, we have wronged God the Father, we do currently still sin, and we will sin and are in constant need of saving. It's important for us to remember this to order, in order to fully understand redemption. So my first point, we're getting there. Number one, redemption is required. Redemption is required. Number one, redemption is required. But how? How were we set free? There was no way of, of escape. There was no amount of effort or ability that we could carry it ourselves to set our own selves free. The world is trying as best as they can, but failing miserably. The answer many of us know, but often forget the weight of it, is that Jesus paid the penalty for us. But before we jump into the truth of the cross, I want to address a potential problem. How do we acknowledge our own depravity, our own sin, without going down a deep pit of shame and depression? Hopefully you're not here worried that all I'm going to talk about is sin today, and especially if you're new. There is hope. This is an underdog story. Uh, I had the pleasure of being a part of two life groups this week, and it was amazing. I asked that question, how do we acknowledge our own depravity without going down a deep pit of shame and depression? How in the world do you not wallow in your own woe is me and cares for yourself? And I got back a beautiful answer. Um, the answer was this, I think about who Jesus is and how much he loves me. I picture Jesus as somebody who wants to and constantly wants to reach out for my hand and say, walk with me, dear child. Be with me. I want to be in relationship with you. In order to not go down the deep pit of woe is me, we must be reminded of who he is. Tozer has a quote along the lines of, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. If you think of this man, of this God, as a ruthless judge who's distantly disappointed in you constantly, 
you've missed the picture of who he is. We must be reminded of who he is to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto him. All throughout this scripture, all throughout this passage, essentially Ephesians 1, 1 through 10, Paul is revealing God's great intentionality, but especially in verses 9 and 10. Can you take a look? He lavished us upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. He set forth in Christ a plan, a plan for the fullness of time shows us that this was the plan all along. The second Eve bit the fruit, Christ was the plan. It's as if God turned to Jesus looked him dead in the eye and said, are you ready? Are you ready to save them? She just bit it. Are you ready to save John? Are you ready to save Melvin? Are you ready to save Colette? Are you ready to save Karen? He looked back at the very beginning and said, absolutely. How do we know this? John 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. Not out of some mystery of what might happen if I go be a human, out of the full weight and knowledge of what all of us were going to do in the 21st century. Guys, this is the beauty of the cross. Despite knowing he would be betrayed by those around him, he loved them anyway. He wasn't reluctant, hesitant, or distant. Somebody wrongs us or somebody does something that we don't particularly like, and we have a hard time reaching out to them with a text. He lived with the people who were going to betray him. He walked with, ministered to, fed the people who were going to one day spit in his face and demand that he be crucified. Think about that. Could we possibly even consider doing even anything remotely close to that? Absolutely, absolutely not. I'll answer it for you. We can barely text the person this afternoon who we believe wronged us because they did something we didn't particularly like. He left his throne to live with, minister to, and love the people who would one day betray him. This is who our Lord is. This is who he is, a compassionate and patient savior who radically desires to not only show us his love, but to bring us into it. Before time even began, he knew what we were going to do. He knew of the sin. He knew of the rebellion and disobedience and yet chose to move forward with the plan despite it all. Guys, Life Group is absolutely profound. It's been week one, but I'm telling you, hop into it because again, it was a beautiful example. We asked, we read through the scripture and just asked, hey, what stood out to you? And after a, a, a pretty long period of time, um, somebody in our group spoke up after a few people had shared, and we were sharing some really good things. And what they shared was back in verse two, what stood out was grace to you and peace from God our Father. What they shared was that they were not just given a gift that they didn't deserve. They were given the peace to enjoy it. It was a really profound moment um, for me to see and to feel that weight. 
we have the freedom to be just as loving, to be just as at peace, and to no longer be concerned with the things of this world. Matthew 6 says, look at the birds of the air. They do not reap, store, or wait for the harvest. And yet your heavenly Father takes care of them. Look at the flowers. There is not a single another person who is not arrayed as beautiful as these flowers. How much more valuable are you than they? The freedom to have full and complete trust in God is ours. It's been given to us. We have even been made free from our own guilt and shame. We've been given the gift of grace, yes, but we've been given the peace to enjoy it. Romans 8 says this, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Circling back, the only thing that God forgets, the only thing that he forgets. I'm a forgetful guy. I've been hit in the head many times. Thank you, football. Thank you, concussions. I have to write down everything. If it's not my calendar, if it's not my reminders, it does not exist. God is a forgetful God, but forgets one thing. That is our sin. So who are we to hold on to the memories of our own depravity? Jeremiah 31, 34 says this, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. So while redemption is absolutely required to understand our own depravity, number two is this, we have been made free in him. This is incredibly good news. But what are we to do with this? Were we to take it and just hold it close to our hearts and do nothing? What were we ultimately set free to do? The best thing we get to do this side of heaven that we will not be able to do is what? It is to share the love of God. It is a privilege, it is a call, it is a command, and it's something that is a gift that we can participate. You weren't given this gift to sit on the sideline. You weren't given the swag, the jersey, the helmet, the shoes to sit on the sideline and just say, I'm a Christian. You were called to go be a part of the game. Romans 6 says this, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might what? We too might walk in newness of life. We look back at the intentionality of this passage, Ephesians 1, 7 through 10. The intentionality and the language of deep love and compassion for us is this. In him, we have been given redemption through his blood because he is gracious. And he did so lavishly and abundantly, not withholding anything, but through all, not some, all wisdom and insight, made known to us his purpose of his will and plan over the expanse and fullness of time, having predestined us all to do what? Verse 10 to unite all things, earthly and heavenly, in him, under the authority and care of his goodness. 
isn't this good enough to share and to live out fully? I mentioned underdog stories at the beginning, but the greatest underdog story ever told, ever to exist, is this. We, in these seats and in this church, we were enslaved to sin and in desperate need of saving, yet we were lavishly given redemption through Christ's blood and sacrifice. To do what? To wander in the desert and to wonder what's next? No. To celebrate and let the credits roll? No. Number three, to live righteously, to unite all things in him. In him we have redemption through Christ's blood so that he can unite all things, both in heaven and on earth, all things in him. Alistair Begg says this, as a result of grace, we have been saved from sin's penalty. One day we will be saved from sin's presence. In the meantime, we are being saved from sin's power. When you think that God isn't present because he's not answering your prayers, please, please, please remember this. He has saved you and released you from your sin. That is the greatest gift he has ever, will ever, and has ever bestowed upon us. Again, everybody loves an underdog story. Whether we're talking about sports or academics or superheroes or America's founding fathers. We get captivated when it seems that all hope is lost. But just when you think it's going to end poorly, something miraculous happens and our hero comes out victorious. The greatest underdog story is this. The greatest miracle to ever be performed was setting sinners, that's me and you, setting the captives free. Like that of Andy Dufresne from Shawshank Redemption, we have been given the way out of our imprisonment to sin and into the beautiful downpour of freedom, the lavished redemption. All hope was lost the second the fruit was bit. And yet our hero set the course for our complete freedom the second it was bit. How sweet of a reality is this? Sweeter than any fruit, sweeter than any sin, sweeter than any world philosophy that corrupts our minds and soul. Psalm 8 reminds us of this humility in which we look upon God's truth. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him. He wants to be with us. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to be more and more like his son. He wants us to be his children. He has redeemed us despite knowing we'd sin. He chose to pay the penalty and his desires to be in relationship with us, to unite all things in heaven and on earth. Church, let's constantly be reminding one another of this amazing truth and his goodness. I leave you with this. Psalm 5, 11 through 12. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Post-worship, let us rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favors as with a shield. Guys, Redemption is required. We have been made free in him to do what? To live righteously, to unite all things in him. We have an opportunity right now to be reminded of this truth by taking communion, by going to him and understanding the depth of our sin, but not to wallow in it. You have the opportunity right now for not just this morning, but for your entire life 
to let go of the thing that is holding you back, to let go of the shackles, and to be made free, to no longer be enslaved to sin, but to be enslaved to righteousness. We are under the authority of one or the other. And God calls us, please, my dear child, come out of bondage, come out of slavery, and into the freedom that is righteousness. He is a strong refuge that we can go to. 1 Corinthians 11 says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup in the new covenant. The cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This time is a beautiful time of remembrance, yes, but it is a severe and strong proclamation of whose authority you are under. You are looking the enemy dead in the eye saying, I stand with my father. Prior to that, be made right with him by understanding the need for redemption, remembering who he is and that he will redeem you of your sin, that this is good news to be set free in order to do what? To go sit on the couch today and watch football? To be polite to the person you're ordering from? No, to constantly have God at the forefront of your mind and share the good news of who he is to others to live righteously. We have been called to be a part of that unification. So right now, in this period, pray to God, our Heavenly Father, who wants to hear from you, who's not irritated, who's not too busy paying attention to the holier church or the holier Christian. He's paying attention to you individually with absolute intentionality and wants to hear from his child. Okay, let's pray before we jump into communion. God, we thank you so much for who you are. The fact that you are a good father, not just lyrics on a screen, but a truly good father who considers us, who wants us, who wants us to be set free. That you, Your heart breaks, your heart grieves over the fact we sin and we turn away from you when we choose another path, when we choose to go back into slavery and bondage. Will you please forgive us of that? Will you please help us see how much we need you the reality of your mercy, the reality of the gift of grace, and then to, to walk in the peace and enjoyment of that gift. God, reveal to us who you are, not only continually through your scripture and continually through prayer, and bless this time. Will you help us remind us of your great gift of sending your son to die for our sins and to release us? You knew that from the beginning of time. You knew who would be sitting in here today. God, we thank you that we can be reminded of that in something as simple as bread and juice. We be with each of us here as we take and are reminded of the great gift and of who you are. Please forgive us and be with us as we go out and live for your kingdom to unite all things, things in heaven and things on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.